Well, I don't know if you've lost uh, track of the days over uh, the Christmas period. I definitely have. I uh, thought it was Wednesday when it was Thursday, and it all gets very complicated. But as far as I'm aware, tomorrow, I think I've got this right, is New Year's Eve. That's right, isn't it? Tomorrow's New Year's Eve. Now, I wonder, Christmas gets a lot of thoughts put into it, doesn't it? Christmas gets, uh, you know, quite a chunk of the year uh, spent preparing for Christmas. But I wonder if you've spent as much time preparing for New Year as you have for Christmas Day. It's strange, isn't it, that we spend months preparing for one day, but how many days do we spend preparing for a whole year uh, ahead? This morning, we're talking about how to have a happy new year. And by that, I don't mean one day, you know, just one day in the calendar, but a whole calendar year. How can we have a happy new year? And to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 90 uh, to help us see how we can do that. A psalm written by Moses, as we're told right at the beginning. Uh, Probably, if you think about it then, this was one of the first parts of the Bible to be written, because this is Moses uh, who wrote it. This one has stood the test of time. Uh, A poem that was written by uh, a man over two and a half thousand years ago, yet here it is preserved for us in Scripture. So we're going to look at the wisdom of that great man uh, who has has kept this through the uh, years of history. And we're going to hear the words of Moses. Now, we often think of him as a bit of a stuffy man. I don't know about you when you sort of think of Moses. I mean, there's even some statues that have him with horns on his head. You know, he's really seen as a bit of a a stuffy, sort of stingy man. But listen to the Bible's verdicts. It's there on the back of your notice sheets. You'll see there's also space on the inside to take notes if you wish to. Uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 24 and 26 By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, we think of Moses being quite a stuffy man, but actually he's a man who was looking for a reward. He was a man that was looking for treasure, he was looking for happiness, A greater happiness than even all the treasures of Egypt could offer. And we're going to see this as we we hear his words in Psalm 90. We'll see that reflected in that. But as I prayed before, we'll hear the words of Moses. But let's not forget that these are the words of Scripture. This is God speaking to us. So this isn't just some wise words for a good life. Actually, this is God's way for us to have life to the full. So how can we have a happy new year? Well, this morning I've got three things to think about. For the year ahead to get perspective and then six things to pray for for a happy new year so first of all three things to think about for a happy new year the first one is there in one and two let me read it to you again lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god it's good isn't it to get perspective As the quote goes, the world changes when we change our perspective. Perspective helps us not to make mountains out of molehills, doesn't it? As we uh, look at the things in their proper perspective. Equally, it helps us to see the things that are really important. Well, right here at the beginning of this psalm, Moses helps us see things from God's perspective. I can't help thinking that as he wrote this, he might just have written Genesis. You know, as he talks about God forming the world uh, before he uh, formed the earth being from everlasting to everlasting, before the mountains were there. I mean, forget molehills, even mountains here are nothing in God's perspective. 
He was there before them and he'll be there after them. Even mountains that seem so permanent and immovable, yet God predates them, doesn't he? God is greater than them. Even the earth itself, God was there long before the earth was. So time is as of nothing before God. He's from everlasting to everlasting. I should say that's the proper pronunciation. Sometimes we have trouble, don't we? <laughs> With the pronunciation is about everlasting, not everlasting. Uh, it's everlasting to everlasting. You see, we measure time in minutes now, don't we? Thanks to clocks and watches. Uh, I'm reading a book that sort of predates clocks and watches, and they're just starting to get them, and they're starting to measure time in minutes. That's the way we do now, don't we? We sort of expect people to be there on time to the minutes. But God actually measures time in millennia here, doesn't he? Have a look at verse 4. For a thousand years is in your sight. Oh, sorry, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. When we think of things from God's perspective, our time scales are completely different. You know, we think we're planning ahead, don't we? If we, we plan ahead a few months, you know, we've got a calendar. We think, oh yeah, up to April. Wow, that's, that's really advanced planning. But God works millennia in advance. And even that's just like planning what he'll do today. That's the sort of scale that we're working on. Now, a year may feel a, a, a long time. I'm finding as I get older that it's getting shorter and shorter. It sort of seems like it used to feel like a summer. Now it sort of feels like a year. Uh, it's a bit strange. But imagine what it looks like from God's perspective. A year, a second, a millisecond. On God's scale, it'll be gone like that in a moment. God is working for much bigger purposes. He's working on a much bigger time scale. But having said that, those time, that time is made up of those seconds, isn't it? And God knows each one intricately. It's not that these times don't matter. That's not what he's trying to tell us. Actually, every second counts. But more, though, we need to get perspective that in God's sequence of things, that year is of, is of nothing. But it is part of that bigger time. We need to use it well. But in the end, it's just a, a second in a sequence. It may be a great year. It may be an awful year. But in the end, it will just be another year. And God is bigger than whatever the year ahead may hold, whether it's good or bad. And however your year has been, God is still God from everlasting to everlasting. Not everlasting to everlasting apart from 2018. All through history. And in a year's time, he will still be God. It says here that he's been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So whether you've moved house this year, I know a few have at church here, or whether you've stayed put, God is still God. God is still our dwelling place. If you think about it, as Moses writes this to the Israelites, that would have been extremely pertinent, wouldn't it? As they've been moving about. But actually God is their home. God is their inhabitation. And if we're in Christ, home is where the Lord is. You get that saying, don't you? Home is where the heart is. But for the Christian, the home is where the Lord is, which is hopefully where your heart is as well. But it means there's a permanency that we can miss. We can forget, actually, that God is permanent. God is solid, like that anchor we were singing about before. So whether we end up, by the end of this year, living in a stately home or on the streets, God will still be our dwelling place. And for God's people, he always has been and always will be. And that should give us some sort of perspective on the year ahead. God is from everlasting to everlasting. But just like we should think about time from God's perspective, we should think about our lives from God's perspective. 
Let me read verses 3 to 7. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. We're to think about life from God's perspective. You see, we think often uh, that life is permanent, don't we? But from God's perspective, in one sense, we're but a word away from death. I know that sounds a little bit morbid to talk about at this time of year. But if we remember that, it will help us get perspective on the year ahead. God just needs to say the word. And just as he brought us from dust, he can return us to dust. Our lives might feel long, but there is nothing to God in that timescale, are they? As we said, as a timescale that works in millennia, a thousand years like a few hours in the night, or like a day that's passed. And it says here that people are swept away like a flood. Again, think of Genesis, swift and unexpected, like a dream, it passes so quickly. The dream that you can't even remember seconds after you've woken up, you know, that experience, you sort of wake up and, and then it's gone. It says here that life is like Middle Eastern grass that flourishes in the morning as the sun rises and the dew nourishes it. But it's dead and withered by the time it gets to evening. The heat of the sun being like the heat of God's wrath that burns us in verse 8. When looked at through God's perspective, life is no more than a fleeting breath, again as we sang earlier. No more than the life of a mayfly, like a dream that's gone and you can't remember it. The message is though that although it seems life is short and could end um, at any moment, that should give us perspective. That's the point of this. We do not know how long we have. So as we think of the year ahead, we don't know. We can't even vouch for this afternoon, can we? The Lord might return or he might take us home. So can we really leave things undone this year? Pablo Picasso apparently said, only put off until tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone. Imagine if we treated the year like that. What should we be doing this year? And that gives us perspective, doesn't it? Not putting things off. But living life life in the light of the short time that we have, thinking about life from God's perspective, can change how we live this year, can't it? Can change how we treat it. And then finally, for a bit of perspective, think about life from our perspective. Have a look at verses 8 to 11. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We need to think about life from our perspective too. Are you satisfied with an average life? That was a lyric in a song that was playing while I was preparing this. And I thought, actually, that's really what it's talking about here, isn't it? We're presented here with an average life. We get 70, maybe 80 years. Our days pass away. 
Not dramatically on the whole, but with a sigh. Our lives are filled with sin and suffering. Not exclusively, there are better things there. But it characterises an average life. And we ignore the power of God's anger. We choose to forget about God's wrath to just keep on living normally, to keep living an average life. Most of us, from our perspective, lead a pretty normal life. Yet even from our perspective, our days are soon gone. Years just fly by. Those, uh, like I said time earlier, if you, uh, I can only imagine what it's like for people, you know, have I lived another 30 years, what, what years will be like? So short. And God sees everything within those years. God sees our sins, even our secret sins. And from this perspective, he fairly swiftly brings us to judgment. Our life is soon over. It's a bit like the police car siren. You know, they have that sort of experience. You can hear it coming miles off. I never know where they are. I don't know if it's just me. When I'm sat in the car, I can hear one and you're sort of looking around. You can hear it for miles. And then when it actually gets there, it's just gone, isn't it? In a second. And you just vaguely hear it drifting off into the distance. That's like life. It just passes us by so quickly. So if we want to have a happy new year, don't forget the brevity. And don't forget that God is watching That is what we miss from our perspective. That is what the normal life misses, that God is there. And God cares about how you spend this year, what you do. Even though it's fleeting, it counts. So remember life from our perspective, and don't forget that God is there. So with these three things giving us perspective, the rest of the psalm is really giving us things to pray about in light of that perspective that God has given us, the brevity of life. How should we be praying this year? Well, I've slightly put them out of order to help us remember them. I want these to be things that we keep praying throughout the year, if we want to remember. So, they smell out smiles. Um, you'll notice on your notice sheet. Um, so, slightly out of order, but it'll help us remember them. So, if we want a happy year, a happy new year, these are things we can pray. So, the first one is satisfy us with your love. Have a look at verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All of us seek satisfaction, don't we? The problem is often where we seek our satisfaction. The only love that can satisfy is God's love. So if we want to be happy this year, if we want to be satisfied this year, we need to find satisfaction in God's love. We need to pray that he would... So satisfy us with his love that we are satisfied. So often we think we need lots of things uh, to be satisfied, don't we? We think, oh, I need that, I need that. I mean, Christmas is one of those times, isn't it? You write your Christmas list. Who only puts one thing on their Christmas list? You know what I mean? We write a big long list because we think we need lots of things to be satisfied. But actually here, we're told we need just one thing to be satisfied. We need God's love to satisfy us. And our problem is that we seek our satisfaction in other things, that we chase after other things. But do you notice that it's not just that God would satisfy us with his love, though that, that's essential, isn't it? But that he would do it in the morning. I don't know if that seems a bit of a strange detail to you. So you can sort of understand, yeah, satisfy us with your love, that, that seems to make sense. But why in the morning? Well, there's a hint here, isn't there, that today might not have been so cheerful. There's a hint that today might not have been, we might not have been so satisfied with God's love. This is a prayer that points us to tomorrow, 
isn't it? In the morning, fresh day. So even if today's not been great, even if today's been not so cheerful, we can still pray to be satisfied with God's love in the morning. It's a prayer of real hope. It's a prayer that God would do something for us in the future, even if our present circumstances don't seem so great. And it seems from the context of the psalm, they've been having a bit of a hard time in the wilderness. But the goal in God satisfying us with his love, do you see there in the verse, is that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God's love leads to our joy. If we want to find joy this year, we need to get to know God's love. Love that sent Christ to the cross. Love that reached down to save us and rescue us, even though we didn't deserve it. We need to pray along with Paul in Ephesians 3. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Christ's love is big love, isn't it? And we should spend this year trying to sound the depths of it. Because it's a big love, big enough to satisfy all of us. So what we need to do is ask God to help us find satisfaction in that love this year. Satisfy us with your love. The second thing we're told is make us glad. Have a look at verse 15. Make us glad for as many years as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. As with the previous prayer, there's an acknowledgement here that many of our days are spent in affliction, in hardship. The prayer here is, sort of roughly speaking, that God would balance that out, if you like. That as they've seen many difficult years, God would show them many glad years. And it's not wrong to pray for glad days. Though it is worth remembering that often we learn as much from our days of affliction, or more from our days of affliction, than we do from our days of comfort and gladness. It's not wrong to pray for gladness, but so often we struggle with gladness, don't we? Often we focus on the troubles and we forget the gladnesses in our lives. We forget the thousand pleasures and remember the one pain. We forget the hundred times we got it right and we remember the one time we got it wrong. Have you prayed for God to bring you gladness? Have you asked for his help to remember the pleasures as well as the pains this year? It's not wrong to pray for God to bring you gladness this year. God does want us to be happy. But more than that, he wants us to have lasting happiness. That's really what God means when he says that. And that may involve some measure of pain this year. Remember, again, God's timescales are not our own. He's working for much bigger purposes. God cares more about our character than our comfort. Because he knows that's ultimately what counts. But to do that will ultimately make us glad, as he makes us more like his son, the Lord Jesus. So pray that God would make you glad. But remember, he's working for our ultimate gladness, that you may become more like his son, the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, instructors to number our days. This is what I had to change slightly. It's still the same word, really, rather than teach, but instructors to number our days. Have a look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's a kind of arithmetic that you can't learn in school. There's a kind of numbering that only God can teach you. Numbering your days. 
And in the light of the perspective that we talked about at the beginning, this should be pretty obvious what it means. Remember, time is short, and remind yourself of that. It's why I think it's totally appropriate for Christians to celebrate birthdays, for example, and to celebrate the new year. Not for an excuse uh, an excuse for a party, though it's okay to have a party. Celebrating God's kindness, if you think about it, is a, something we should celebrate, for giving us another year. But years and birthdays are good ways to number our days. New Year should function a bit like a ticking clock, if you like, reminding us that time is passing. It's a reminder to us not to waste our time as we see time passing. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they have no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Each passing year is a reminder that time is short. And if we want to have a happy year, happy new year, we need to make this year count for something, don't we? How many years have we spent that have meant absolutely nothing in the scheme of things? If we want to look back on this year with satisfaction, we need to make it count for something, don't we? What have you done this year that has really mattered, that was really of any significance? Anything? We need to number our days to remind us to live wisely, to have wise hearts. Marking the passing of time reminds us not to waste our days. At least that's what it should teach us if we have wise hearts. We need God to teach us to do that. So instead of despairing over what we haven't done this year, it should spur us not to do the same next year. What could you do this year that would really count for something? Something that you can look back at at the end of next year and say that you've done something of significance. Not talking about bungee jumping or going backpacking across Europe or the sort of things that people put on their lists. I'm talking about a year of progress in the faith. A year of progress in evangelism. A year of progress in our love, care and service of one another. You know that Heather Small song? What have you done today to make you feel proud? Could we sort of adopt that and make it a bit better for the year? You know, what have you done this year to make God feel proud? What have you done of significance? The way that we do that is we number our days. We remember that each day counts. And we remember that the time is short. And that will help us have a happy new, happy new year, won't it? As we look back at the end of next year with satisfaction. Fourthly, look upon us with pity. Have a look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. A new year is also a time to think about where you are now with God, isn't it? For Moses, on behalf of his people, it meant praying for God to have pity on them, to show them mercy. We know what the Israelites are like in the wilderness. They're always failing. But isn't that just like us, always failing? Moses asked God to return to them, asked him to come back and have pity on them. How are you doing spiritually compared to this time last year, a year ago? Have you made progress? 
Or have you gone backwards? As Moses looks back over his year or over his time, he sees what he needs. He asks for God to return to them. Instead of returning them to dust, he asks God to return to them. Same word. It's like the opposite. Not to destroy them in his wrath, but to restore them in his mercy, to show pity to them. It's a sober-minded assessment on how they're doing, isn't it? But sometimes that's what we need, a sober-minded assessment of how we're doing. If we're serious about having a happy new year, part of it will be turning to God for mercy when we fail, repenting and starting afresh, following after him. See, sometimes we spend too much time worrying about how fast we're going in things, don't we? Rather than worrying what direction we're heading in. Sometimes wisdom isn't speeding up, it's having that sense to pause and look where we're going, consider where we're going and what we're doing. I remember one time I went to a wedding, um, I uh, had a really good chat with Caroline at the wedding, a really, really good time, but uh, it took me a while to get there because I got a bit lost. I was coming out of Kendall and uh, I went entirely the wrong way out of Kendall. And my plan to basically get to the wedding venue was just to go faster. I didn't know I was heading the wrong way. And actually, Caroline in a car with some other people, ended up, they, they were following me thinking I knew where I was going uh, and managed to pull me over to the side. But sometimes we worry about, am I going fast enough, if you like, rather than what direction am I going in? This year, if you want to have a happy new year, perhaps take a time to stop, look back and ask God for mercy and press on again in the right direction. Even if it's just one step, just heading in the right direction. So ask God to look on us with pity this year and return to us, however far we've fallen. God longs to give us mercy. And then finally, the last one in smile. So satisfy us with your love, make us glad, instruct us to number our days, look upon us with pity, and establish our works. He asks, uh, this verse 17, let the favour of the Lord our God uh, be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He asked God to favour them and establish their works. That last bit gets repeated twice, almost to emphasise it. I think we know what it means for God to look upon us with favour. I think we're used to that language. But what does it mean for God to establish our works? Well, it means to make them lasting. There's a a great uh, saying, isn't there? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If God doesn't establish our works, then they won't last, however much effort effort and energy we put into them. We all want to do things that will last beyond this time next year, but unless the Lord establishes our works, we may as well not bother. As Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. We want to be involved in things that last. Otherwise, however much activity we do this year, however many different things we do this year, it will be in vain. It won't last. So we need to pray that God would establish our works this year as individuals and as a church. And I've just realised I made it plural, didn't I? Smiles. There is one last one. (laughs) Bonus one. There we go. Show us your power. Verse 16. Let your uh, work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. 
How can we do any of the things we've talked about without God's power? If we want to have a happy new year, we need God to move with power. We need God to work, don't we? It's no good planning, it's no good dreaming if God doesn't work. For all the things that we've talked about, we need God to show us his power, don't we? Not just because we can't do anything without him, we can't, but also so that he gets the glory. See, our happiness is not the ultimate goal this year ahead. I've tried to avoid using that phrase, ultimate goal, because actually God's glory is the ultimate goal, isn't it? It just so happens that those two things come together in a sort of divine conjunction. God is glorified as he makes us happy in him. Now, for some of us, this happy new year might seem like an impossibility. How can we possibly be happy this year as we think about the things that we face? As we think about the ongoing battles with indwelling sin? As we think about melancholy that weighs us down? But if God works in power for his glory this year, we can overcome. We can have a happy new year. As I said at the beginning, tomorrow's New Year's Eve. So as you prepare for your new year, why don't make each day in the calendar a day you work towards God's glory? A day where you ask him to show his power. Why don't make it a day when you look with God's perspective on each day of the year? Remembering how big a God we have, who even made the mountains. And we can pray those six things, can't we? That God would satisfy us with his love, make us glad, instruct us to number our days, look upon us with pity, establish our works and show us his power. And if he answers those prayers, you know what? We might just have a happy new year this year. So let's pray that now as we close. Father God, thank you for the year that has passed. Father, thank you for the joys that we've been able to enjoy. Father, sorry for the times when we have let you down and have not lived as we should have done and not given you the glory that you deserve. Father, we pray that instead of despairing this morning, Father, that we would turn to you and you would return to us. Father, help us to have a happy new year, Father, not for our own goodness in a way, but for your glory. Pray that we might find our joy in you. And that, Father, you might be glorified this year as we see the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, as we see Christians loving one another, and as we see, uh, Father, as growing and progressing in the faith and becoming more like your son, the Lord Jesus. For we ask all these things in your mighty power and in Jesus' name. Amen.